Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Every year on October 28th, Greece remembers its entry into World War II and the moment in 1940 when it refused to surrender to Mussolini's Italy, choosing to fight for independence and against fascism. Greek resistance to fascist Italy and then Nazi Germany inspired many in occupied Europe and came at a time when the Axis seemed invincible. This year's commemoration comes as people across the world, from Ukraine to Iran, are fighting against the odds for their independence, their democracy, and their human rights. Professor Roderick Beaton joins me to break down the significance of Ohide and look at how this story continues to inspire today. Professor Beaton is the Emeritus Correus Professor of Modern Greek and Byzantine History, Language and Literature at King's College London. His recent work includes authoring the acclaimed books, The Greeks, A Global History, and Greece, Biography of a Modern Nation. Professor Beaton, it's great to have you back on The Greek Current. My pleasure. Thank you. Professor, on October 28th, Greece commemorates its entry into World War II on the side of the Allies. Most, if not all, other countries celebrate the end of the war. What's significant about this distinction in Greece? Well, it's um, it's good you ask that, because it really raises quite an important point, and I'm not sure I really thought about that before. But, as you well know, Greece has not one but two national days. This is one of them. The other is the 25th of March. And both of those actually mark not the end of conflicts, but the beginning of conflict. And that does raise a question of why. Now, I think there's a kind of practical question which applies both to Archie Day and to the 25th of March, which commemorates the national uprising against the Ottoman Turks in 1821. In both of those cases, the end game was confused and complicated, and not to drag the 1821 into the story now, in the case of the Second World War, the Greeks won their initial battles most spectacularly. But, of course, they lost the longer war. Greece became an occupied power and was therefore not really part of the victory in Europe process that came later. So there's a kind of practical reason for commemorating the entry into the war. But I think it's a more fundamental reason. And it does apply to both the national struggle in 1821 and the Second World War. Because on both occasions, it's the decision to fight against the odds at a time of desperation that marks out the character of, I think, of Greece itself. Both of these have been remembered, and indeed justly were, battles for freedom, for self-determination. And on the 28th of October, Greece was given an ultimatum, you accept invasion by a foreign power, Mussolini's Italy, and the Greek dictator, Metaxas, for all that he was politically in many ways aligned with Mussolini and Hitler, said no, the famous Ochi in Greek. And that was a decision that for once in Greece, often divided in the 20th century, it brought everyone together, because that Ochi, that no, signified a determination to fight for freedom, that Greek word eleftheria, that goes all the way back to the Persian Wars in, in ancient times, when the Greeks fought against the might of ancient Persia. So that's why I think the beginning is symbolically even more important than the eventual victory of the Allies over the Axis. Professor, Greece's resistance prompted world leaders like Churchill to state that and I'm quoting him here, hence we will not say that Greeks fight like heroes, but that heroes fight like Greeks. And there are also a number of other quotes from leaders like Roosevelt, for example. 
How important was the Greek resistance, which came at a time when the Axis seemed invincible? Well, I mean, you've got to remember, this happened, you know, in October 1940. I mean, you were saying earlier, you know, Greece joined on the side of the Allies. The awful truth is there were no Allies in October 1940. The whole of Europe, with the exception of Sweden and Switzerland, the neutral parts, the whole of mainland Europe had been already invaded and conquered by the Nazis. Soviet Russia was allied to Hitler through a non-aggression pact. And uh, dare I say, for the benefit of your US listeners, the United States had not yet decided to join the war. So, you know, we in Britain have been brought up on, you know, Britain fought alone in 1940, alone plus Greece. And Greece was actually the first country that took up arms on the same side as Great Britain against the Axis, that is, fascist Italy, Nazi Germany. And to everyone's surprise, during those first months, during the winter of 1940 to 1941, the Greeks pushed the Italians back. They won all these initial battles. And I think that gave an enormous boost to all those people, some of them occupied by the, the Germans, and indeed neutral America. You know, it is possible to fight back. And here's this tiny country in the end of Europe. They're doing it. It can be done. And from that point from that very low point in the end of 1940, begins the whole snowball effect that builds to 1945 and the eventual victory of what by that time is the Allies over Hitler. Eventually, Professor, you know, the Greeks weren't able to repel the Nazi Germans and a brutal occupation began that left deep scars in Greece. What's the lasting legacy of this occupation and the resistance in Greek society? You know, can we still feel it today? Well, we certainly can for decades afterwards. I mean, again, as you know, active armed resistance during the occupation morphed into a bitter and devastating civil war with Greeks fighting against Greeks, Greeks killing other Greeks on a huge and horrifying scale. And, I mean, experts argue about exactly why that happened. A lot of the history that's written about it talks about the ideology you know, it was a fight between communists and non-communists or communists and royalists. But, I mean, the bitter and horrific truth was that after the Greeks were defeated, they won against Mussolini's Italy, but then Hitler came in from the north and not even the Greek army was able to fight on two fronts. At once, Greece collapsed. And it was then, as you said, subjected to a brutal three-way occupation. The country was divided up between Germany, Italy, and their Balkan ally, Bulgaria. And unlike other occupied parts of Europe, nobody quite knows why, but the occupying powers seem quite brutally and almost rather carelessly to have determined to loot this occupied country. They just devastated it. They took everything. They took all the harvests away and they put them on trains going to Northern Europe, everything collapsed in Greece. People died of hunger, literally. They came out of their houses and they, they fell dead in the streets in their thousands, particularly in the cities, in Athens and in Thessaloniki, in the bitterly cold, unusually cold winter of 1941 to 1942. And basically every aspect of civil society collapsed. So the fact that the Greeks ended up fighting against each other it wasn't, I believe, fundamentally a matter of ideology. It was a matter of survival. And it's a terrible warning story to, to the rest of us. You know, what happens when all the structures and the organs and the systems of a modern civilized society fall apart? And the tragedy was that that civil war, it began 
even while the Germans were in occupation. And it carried on after breaks and attempted truces. It carried on after liberation. It carried on after the British had arrived to take over from the departing Germans. It carried on after the British departed and handed over the task of trying to pacify Greece to the Americans. This is part of the, the Truman Doctrine that took effect in 1947. So the Second World War in Greece, it began on that heroic day, Ochi Day, 1940, but it actually lasted for almost a full decade because it wasn't until October, that same month, of 1949, nine years later, that Greece was once again at peace. And that civil war, coupled with the complete devastation of the country that had brought it about, left deep scars that continued really for as long as significant numbers of people were still alive who had fought in it, who had been imprisoned or subjected to torture, or there had been lots of people who were condemned to death and some were reprieved at the last minute. You never forget, you never get over something like that. And it wasn't until the 1980s that people could speak freely. They were even politically felt able to speak freely, that books began to be written, writing the memoirs of people who had fought on both sides in that war. And I would have said it wasn't until after the 1990s that the scars began to heal. And now I think the real difference is that rather few people are still alive who actually experienced those events. And it really required the passage of two, I think, three generations before the scars could heal. Professor, today we're seeing people across the world from Ukraine to Iran fighting for democracy, for their human rights, and against oppression. Do you think that the story of Ohide that we've outlined and the story of Greek resistance against all the odds still resonates today? It does more than ever today. And I think there are many parallels between Greece and Ukraine in 2022. I often draw this parallel with Greece in 1821, fighting against the Ottoman Turks for freedom, for self-determination, and very much so on Ochi Day and the following months in October 1940, because there was Greece, you know, a small country. It was invaded, threatened with invasion, and then actually invaded by a much larger, much more powerful neighbour, Italy. And again, as I think many thought would happen in Ukraine, there was an expectation that Greece would fall. Mussolini didn't, I think, genuinely expect the Greeks to fight back. He sent this telegram saying, you know, we're going to send our troops into your country. And the ambassador was famously, you know, shocked, the Italian ambassador, when he spoke to uh, Metaxas, the Greek leader, at three o'clock in the morning on the 28th of October. And the honest truth is, he didn't say that one word, oh, they spoke in French. And he said in French, I'm afraid it's war. But, you know, translated, the substance was, oh, and that's exactly what, President Zelensky and the Ukrainians have said to Putin this year, and they're fighting against similar odds. And it has to be said, actually, with more international support than was available to the Greeks in 1940. But this is part of a story that is very much a Greek story. And it goes all the way back to, I mentioned before, the Persian Wars, when in ancient times, Greece was invaded by a much more powerful, autocratic, monarchical neighbour. And against the odds, the Greeks fought for their freedom. The very idea of political freedom and the rule of law, as we understand those today, 
Those were actually forged in those wars fought between Greeks and Persians two and a half thousand years ago. And the Greeks have still been doing it in the 20th century. Let's hope they don't have to in the 21st. Professor Beaton, it's great speaking with you again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. In other news, the European Union signed an agreement Wednesday with North Macedonia to deploy officers from the bloc's border protection agency Frontex in the Balkan country as it expands its reach into nearby non-member states. The signing ceremony in North Macedonia's capital Skopje was attended by EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and Home Affairs Officer Ilva Johansson. Migration along the so-called Western Balkan route has steadily increased since 2018. Frontex has agreements with Western Balkan countries Albania, Serbia, Montenegro, and Bosnia-Herzegovina, and it has also pledged 350 million euros in support to combat illegal migration in those partner countries between 2021 and 2024. Finally, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz on Thursday condemned Turkey's position that questions Greece's sovereignty over its Aegean Islands. It is not acceptable for a NATO ally to question another one's sovereignty, he said during a joint press conference with Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis after their meeting in Athens. Mitsotakis had earlier criticized Turkey's aggressive rhetoric, saying that Russia's ongoing war in Ukraine left no room for more tensions in Europe. Mitsotakis also revisited Greece's demand for German reparations from World War II, urging Berlin to repay a forced loan dating from the Nazi occupation. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.